you're touching people you don't even realize. And that's the power behind podcasting. Yeah. And, and it, it certainly is something that's growing. I mean, if you go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of those platforms, there are so many out there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I try to check into them. I, I meet different podcasters now from, from being on their shows or having them on mine. And um, it's fun. I mean, there's a lot of interesting people out there with a lot of interesting things to say. I hope you're ready for today's episode of Dead America doing Let's get into this. Today we are with George Siegel. He is the host of Move the World podcast. George, could you introduce yourself to the people and let people know just a little bit about you, please? Absolutely, Ed. Thanks for having me on. Um, I started the Move the World podcast based on my documentary film company, which is called Move the World Films. And with the film company, I try to make uh, documentaries that do something to to help people, to make a difference in the world. And so I thought, wow, there's a lot of people that you can't necessarily make a film about, but they would certainly be available for a podcast. So the whole point of the podcast is every week we introduce people to someone who in their life or in their business is doing something to try to move the world. And that could be as simple as helping people you know, get food, helping people raise money, helping uh, create something that benefits society. It's really a pretty open-ended, broad base of things that people do that benefit more than just themselves. And I thought it would be interesting to uh, to let people meet them in a podcast. It's a very unique and wonderful thing you're doing, George. I love your podcast. And some of the people you have uh, interviewed is just remarkable what they're doing out there. I love people like that. And that's why I wanted to spotlight your podcast here on Napod Pomo. It's a great thing to reach out to people and help. What got you into podcasting? Well, you know, it's funny. I was watching, I, I never watched late night television, but there was a bit that Sarah Silverman did about podcasts, how everybody's got a podcast now. <laughs> and I was just kind of rolling my eyes going, that's true. Everybody does have a podcast. Every show you're listening to, someone says, and you can catch our podcast. And there's so much stuff out there. But then you figure there's also so many people out there. There's hundreds of millions of people, probably more than that, that are looking for content, looking for interesting things. And I thought, you know, I can't make a film about everybody, but, but I can certainly put them on and, and talk to them and learn about what they do. You know, I interviewed a woman today who has a bakery that she created that is gluten-free, dairy-free, helping people with, you know, that are food challenged, that, that need to eat better. And she was fascinating. And I was going, there's so many people like that out there. There's so many different topics and interesting folks. As you're finding out, and as the people who listen to this, though, the, the toughest thing for all us podcasters, or I could call myself a wannabe podcaster, is, is finding an audience. Yeah, that's what everybody worries about. But, you know, an audience means one person listening to you. And boy, that's an audience. And I often think about, you know, you get 
50 downloads a day, 30 downloads a day. If you went out and talked to 30 to 50 people a day, you would be tired. I mean, that's a lot of people hearing what you have to say. So it's a unique way to spread your word. And I guarantee you don't know where your podcast RSS feed is ending up and who's listening to it. I love the concept of podcasting and it is an open freedom to give a platform to voices. And I'm sure finding voices that really matter. And that's what I love about podcasting. Yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, my background originally was television news and everything is all about ratings, how many people are watching. That's what's based on whether or not you keep your job is based on the ratings. And now that I'm making documentary films, you know, you make a film, if five or six people see it, you're not really, you may have a nice art piece, but you're really not going to feel like you move the world. So I'm, I'm a lot more competitive than that. You know, when I see 15, 20, 30 downloads, yeah, it's kind of warm and fuzzy, but part of me wants thousands and thousands of downloads. It's like, you really want people to hear it. And then you get an idea of how, how big it's growing. But to, to your point, if one person hears it and it changes their life, you know, sometimes that's a huge victory. That's a, that's a huge thing, which, which I feel about my films is if somebody sees that and does something to make their house safer or they do something to have better insurance to protect their family, then you feel like you accomplished something. The, the challenge is we don't always get that kind of feedback. We don't always get to know, wow, I really made a difference in that person's life. So it's all, mat all a matter of what we're hunting for in terms of how we determine success. That is very true. And what we think success is really matters so we can measure it properly. So determining that success in our mind and what we're trying to achieve really matters. Yeah. Do you, rem do you remember the end of the film, It's a Wonderful Life? Um, when Harry Bailey came back, to, they were giving George Bailey all that money to help him with his problem. And he did a toast to the richest man in town. And, you know, you got to see from that film just the lives that this guy touched in his day-to-day -day existence that he didn't even know about. He had That's no right. sense of it. And it wasn't until the end where he goes, wow, I, what I do really matters to people. So I thought that was an, a, a great scene in a film. Well, that's iconic, actually, because it, it's true. And if we take that approach to our lives, when we're reaching out to serve others, you know, we all get caught up in we have to make money to produce and we have to have big production. You know, it really is you're touching people every day in ways that you don't realize. And that's why I love podcasting. You're touching people you don't even realize. And that's the power behind podcasting. Yeah. And, and it, it certainly is something that's growing. I mean, if you go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of those platforms, there are so many out there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I try to check into them. I, I meet different podcasters now from, from being on their shows or having them on mine. And um, it's fun. I mean, there's a lot of interesting people out there with a lot of interesting things to say. Yes. And, you know, a lot of people, they get tripped up on the growth process. You know, I've been dabbling in podcasting since 2007. And I'm just now starting to get the audio part, you know, really focusing on what I need to make the audio sound good 
in order for people to really want to listen. And that takes time. When you're building a podcast, there's always these technical things that you've got to work through. And sometimes you really have to dig into it to understand it. So be curious about it. That's for sure. Yeah, I think that's more important than ever now because there's so many different options that if your audio is really bad or it sounds like you're talking from a cave somewhere, you know, there may be a few people that'll stick with you, but other people are going to go, now I want to hear something that sounds better because they have their uh, Apple pods, their their ear pods in or whatever the things are called this week. and, And they just are used to hearing things really clearly. So that's kind of what you have to give them. That's right. And and you got to drive yourself to that. And sometimes it costs money, but the money definitely is worth it. Uh, I was dealing with a lot of bad audio because I was recording over the phone and a lot of those crackles and stuff. Mm-hmm. You can use some software yeah. to help that but it's always going to show and it's going to affect the quality of your audio. So the best in will give you quality out. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. So your films, uh, which one did you do first licensed parent? Yes, that was the first one that I made. And that was about the parenting problem in this country and how parenting is probably the most important job that there is. If you talk to a parent, they understand that. And yet we let anybody do it. Now, the point of the movie is not ultimately to stop people from being parents and have some control saying you can't be parents. It's more of just thinking about how serious the job is and approaching it in a way that you'll be better at it. You know, you don't, any, anybody in nature can reproduce, but that doesn't make you a parent. The parent is the yes. part that takes a lot of work. I commend you for touching on that subject, George, because it is a vital subject that we really need to address. And we don't want to discourage people having children, but I can guarantee you it is important to engage with your children and be present with your children at all times. It's your job. Once you become a parent, you've got to raise your children and make sure they're bringing in the right morals, the right values, because our nation depends on it. And yeah, you might be bringing in children, but that affects everybody here at the same time. So we've got to be aware that we've got to educate people how to do these things properly. Yeah, or at least offer them the resources. And, you know, if if you could keep your kids, if you lived on a compound out in the middle of nowhere and they never wandered into town and were around other human beings, then maybe you could make an argument that you can do what you want. But once you set them loose on the world, they're they're part of what you have produced. They're your responsibility to a certain extent. And you're responsible for what they go out and do. And when the cost of raising children that are bad in society is tremendous, probably billions of dollars a year is spent on bad people screwing up. And it's it, th- that value can be turned around and good, productive people can replace that. And that just means being kind, being understanding, being open-minded, trying to learn, getting a job. There's a lot of things. And a lot of parents don't necessarily model those behaviors. I've always said that if you had to fill out an application to be a parent, do you think you'd get the job? I, I argue a lot <laughs> yeah. of parents might not. 
Yeah. You know, they make it tough to adopt children. It's tougher than if you just reproduce. Um, and so you have to understand it's a lifelong commitment. It doesn't end when your kid goes off to college. That's your child for life. And you have to look at it that way. That's a very good point. So what brought you to producing that documentary? Well, I happen to have five kids of my own. Congratulations. And I always say, you know, nobody should be allowed to have more than two because it's, it's a lot of work. But I, I, I don't think of myself as a great parent. I think of myself as a caring parent who is open to always trying to do better. But I thought that showing how bad it can be and how many problems there are out there would make parents realize we need to be more supportive of each other. We need to, as a community, understand scorn and ridicule towards parents doesn't make them better at their job. As you were saying, education, support, and I don't, I don't mean in terms of handouts, I mean in terms of support, letting them know that there's somebody that's a resource that can help you and maybe help you understand how you can have that job and also raise that child. I mean, there's so many working mothers and fathers that, you know, working moms, just being a mom is a full-time job. Now add on one job, maybe two jobs. That's challenging. And I, I think they should be applauded and rewarded not people going, oh, she shouldn't be doing that. I mean, not everybody has the luxury of just being able to, to be a stay-at-home mom. But even a stay-at-home mom is working. That's a tough job. And I think we need to understand that. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I come from a background where my parents weren't the best parents. I love my parents and I treasure every moment with them that I had. but really to make things right you've got to take responsibility and really grow and sometimes it takes people stepping up and highlighting those things and that's what you're doing out there in many different ways with your podcast it's wonderful you're also producing a film about Climate crisis. Watch the last house stand. Is that what it is? The last house, the, the last house standing, and it was themed around a house in Mexico Beach, Florida. That in uh, 2018, most of uh, Mexico Beach was completely wiped out by Hurricane Michael, and this house was built not to code. It was built to survive the disasters that could have happened there, and they had a Category Five hurricane, and this house survived. So it's kind of a metaphor for the film in that. That should be our goal, is to live in something that has a chance to survive. Yet I think most of us don't think about that. You know, you buy a house because it's got a nice yard and a pool. Maybe it's near school. Um, they have pretty trees on the street. It's got uh, nice countertops, maybe closet space. But you don't know what's behind those walls. You don't know how secure the roof is. You may not even know the flood level in your neighborhood. And then you move in, you may not have the right insurance. You might not have an evacuation plan. You might have no idea how your house would survive a fire or an earthquake or a tornado. And I think we're all a bunch of accidental tourists walking around <laughs> yeah. with our biggest investment, having no idea what we're actually living in. And so I want this film to be a wake-up call to people to say, well, you better pay attention to this because if you're just buying some, if you let some builder build some piece of garbage house and then you buy it, and then you sell it, and the next guy overpays. You're just rewarding mediocrity and passing it along with a house that a strong wind might blow down. 
And, you know, it's yeah. like the game of telephone or musical chairs. Somebody's going to end up getting losing there. And so you put hundreds of thousands of dollars into that house and it gets wiped out. That can be life altering. Yeah. And, and like you were mentioning, some people aren't insured. I find that kind of breathtaking. I live out here in the forest. We were just faced with that biggest wildfire in the nation. And I thought my house was going to go, but I just stepped away because I prepared for that. My house is insured and my equity, I need to make sure I take care of that or else you're being absent-minded. And really, that's what you're pointing out in all of your documentaries and your films that you're doing and your podcast. You're actually telling people to be aware. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, first of all, most people aren't. And we assume there's somebody looking out for us. We right. assume that, you know, if you're living in a house, you assume that the builder did their best job and that everybody working on that did their best job. If you are going to a hospital, you assume the doctor is the best trained. You know, you, 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 we put assumptions on things that we really have no idea. And maybe it's my experiences in life. I found when I've had to rely on somebody blindly, you've lost control of the situation. Yes. You really have no idea where it's going to go, how it's going to turn out because it's beyond your control. Maybe that makes me a bit of a control freak. I'd, I'd like to think I'm not, but. I want to know that it's been done as well as possible. And so just for homes, for example, if, if every time I've ever lived in a house, I've owned a lot of homes over my life. Um, when we first buy the house, I could walk through and tell you what the boils are. And then inevitably, when we go to sell the house, that's what somebody else doesn't want when they go to buy it. So whether the closet space is too small, the driveway is too steep, um, the location, whatever, people find those things. Now look to anytime there's a problem in your house and you get to expose how poorly the house was built. So I've had houses where there was a roof leak and when you went up there to look, you could see where the roofer didn't even put the insulating uh, weatherproofing stuff up there. Or you have to cut into the walls because there's a leak and you find beer cans and garbage bags and all these things. So once you find how, how crappy a job somebody was doing, now you have to wonder what else is, is there that you don't know. And yeah. so I believe knowledge is important for everybody in every situation. If you go to a doctor, you want to know who that doctor is. Google them. What's their track record? What do other patients say about them? Um, you know, how's the office practice? How's the flow if you have to call and get through? I mean, you have to do all this in everything that you do. And if you get in the habit of doing it, it's not going to consume all your time. But you'll be a lot better off in the end than just assuming that somebody is going to be good at what they do. You are so right, George. Now I'm going to share a story. I was a contractor in Utah and there was these condominiums being built. Well, the builder, he had about four, five of them partially done and two or three of them completely done, but there was no inspections done on any of it. They came to me and said, would you take the project over? And I, well, yeah, all right, I'll see if I can. I mean, so I approached the building inspector and got with the county and said, hey, what can we do about this? You know, it's, 
a shabby yes, but it appears that the construction was done properly. Can we get some sort of deal done here? Well, they did. They allowed those houses to stay up, but they made the contractor before sign a statement of liability for all of those homes. And then I took it over from there and worked with the contract building inspector to make sure that was properly done from there on out. So you never know what you're getting into when, and that's not just in homes, that's in everything, cars, everything. It's important. Yeah. And then somebody assuming, somebody assuming liability, like you say, well, in, in a lot of states, that person can just declare bankruptcy or yes. go out of business. And then what's your <laughs> liability worth? It's worth nothing because they can, they just change their name and open business under a different uh, shady umbrella the next, the next day. And then they, they're not liable for anything. And in a lot of states, you can't sue them because there's uh, the builder's lobby is so strong. You can only take them to arbitration. Um, yes. You know, can you imagine if people could sue their builder and go into a court of law? Those guys would be. There's yeah. a, a graphic we have in our film, The Last House Standing, it's Hammurabi's Code, where if a builder builds a house that leads to the death of the person in it, the builder's put to death. And that's skin in the game, right? Yeah. <laughs> you you uh, have something on the line there. Now, what do you have on the line? Your pride. Good luck finding that in a lot of instances. Um, there are some great people in every profession. The challenge is finding them. That's true. And, you know, our world is funny. It's not like it was 30 years ago, but still on that token, it wasn't that good then. You always have these shady things going on in our world. And if you're not being present and aware, you could get caught up in something. And that's very vital. And and you do point a lot of that stuff out. What What other documentaries or projects are you going to be working on? Well, I have a bunch of things in the, in the pipeline that I'm working on. Some of the stuff I can't really um, go into too much detail, but there's kind of a theme with the kind of things I like to do. And that's like, open your eyes. You know, I don't, I don't want to do projects. I don't like to do projects where it's my opinion blasting you that, you know, you come away from it and you go, well, this is George's political beliefs and this is what he's advocating in the film. My, the two films that I've made, are advocating for all of us, you know, no matter what your political affiliation, uh, man, woman, or whatever you're calling yourself this week, the, the, the bottom line is it's you. We care about you. And we're all the same in that instance. We all are homeowners. We all are renters. We all are parents. Many of us are parents. So it doesn't matter all that other stuff. We all still have something in common that we should find a common ground on. And, and so that's what I kind of look for, you know, in, in The Last House Standing, you know, before I made the film, was I maybe a little skeptical about certain things when you hear people talking about different things with the climate and how the Earth's weather patterns are changing. Wow, we had some compelling experts in our film that said completely the opposite of that. They said, absolutely, the storms are getting worse. Um, the intensity later into the season, all the things they so scientifically pointed out. So if I had gone in there with a preconceived opinion of what I was making, maybe I would have ignored that. I would rather hear the experts tell me what's happening. My opinion doesn't matter. And that's what I try to do 
with a film. The story should be what tells itself. It's not the story George wants to tell. Well, that's true. And we should let the story tell itself because that's where you get truth. So, and, and it appears a lot of people like to block truth over substance, you know, materialistic world. Uh, a lot of people get caught up in that, especially in that building area. There's a way to help people by making them aware. And that's what podcasting does for us and your films and everything. Each creator brings present to the world. And that's what it's about. I was going to say some people, um, you, you know, they, they think, wow, it's, it's doom and gloom. You don't trust anybody. That's not really the point. The point is, if you know what to expect, if you are more knowledgeable, the situation can turn out a lot better and you can be better in, in control of your destiny. That's right. And what, our, what The Last House Standing showed is w what people's lives are like when they lose that control. And now you, you, know, you, you don't have a home. You don't have the, the, some guy that came in to throw a tarp on your roof, charged you $10,000 and took off. Um, you assigned your insurance policy over to a guy who said he could rebuild your house and he's not, not seen around anymore. He's controlling your money. I mean, nobody wants to be in that position. So my films and the idea is open your eyes and understand what you're getting into. Don't just half-ass it and assume that everybody's going to do something for you because that's not a recipe for success. That's true. Let's talk about some of the challenges in production. What has been some of the challenges for you? Well, the, first off, the challenge is, is getting to people you want to talk to for the project. It's not always easy to reach these people. You know, people think that, you know, when you're making a documentary film, they know the angles you could be coming after them for. Yeah. For example, you know, you could be, I, we got the FEMA director on there in our film. That's almost impossible for a filmmaker to get because everybody's always trying to blast FEMA. You know, they're always, tr in, in, this wasn't a film about how good FEMA handles disasters. This was a film about how FEMA as an organization wants people to be more proactive to avoid disasters. So they were happy to talk to us and we got in to, to speak to them. And then other experts along the way, they're always wondering, well, how are they going to make me look? You know, what are they going to, how are they going to edit this? And, you know, so you have to give them the confidence that I'm not, this isn't a gotcha film. This is a, we want to help people film. Yes. Um, there's plenty of gotcha films out there where they just run up and stick a microphone in somebody's face and however they look is, you know, you can, you can change the feeling of a scene just by, this happened in a, um, a Katie Couric interview with a guy from the cigarette industry. Do you remember this a few years ago? I don't. Um, they were interviewing this guy and they asked him a question and they edited in about a seven or eight second pause in his answer. It might've been about oh. guns. I don't even remember what the subject was, but what happened was it made this guy look like a major asshole because when you ask that question, you have to have an immediate answer unless you're doing something shady. Yeah. And they edited in the dead space. Now it turned out he had recorded it himself. And so he had the real transcript of how the interview went. And so just little stuff like that. I remember on The Apprentice when that uh, show used to be on NBC, whenever they would have the overweight guy at the board meeting, they would show the donuts over on a table. And when they would have somebody else who may have been annoying, they would show somebody else making a face because they're annoyed. Well, you don't know of the context of that and whether those things were happening in that order. 
But the way they put it together makes it look like the people are what you they want you to think they are. And so, you know, getting people to be in a documentary because they have to get them to sign a release can be um, can be challenging depending on what the subject is. And then the other is raising the money to make the films because they aren't cheap. Everybody always thinks that, you know, they don't think that the filmmaker also has to make a living. Um, So it's it's tough. It's very it's not an easy thing to do. But when you find people that will back your project and then you can do a project, it's very rewarding. Yeah. Uh, I interviewed Dasha Miller and he's a documentary filmmaker also. And he's doing some challenging work out there, challenging what people think of the world. Each time we get people doing that, it, it, really matters but if you have people doing what you were just talking about you know i edit the podcast but i do it for purity not malicious intent so and we do have that in our world it's unfortunate but you've got to really be aware of that and be watching for it at all times and like you said i don't want to be a paranoid individual, but I want to be aware of my world so I can better prepare for any situation that might come my way. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really led to like jumping the shark on this whole thing is reality television because oh, yeah. the way they put those together, you know, there, there's a, a certain um, skill set to that. There's a, it, it takes a certain talent to do those well and they're able to keep an audience and, and keep you riveted but you wonder how accurate it is you know a lot of the people assign a, a non-disclosure where they can't really talk about it so you know but i've heard stories where they say boy they portrayed me as being a controlling troublemaker and that wasn't the case at all so that's the problem in any th- editing situation you know you could rearrange a podcast and make it look like somebody you asked me a simple question and there's George stuck for 20 seconds trying to figure out what the heck to say. I mean, you really could do any of that. It has to be a leap of faith of trust when you do these things. That's right. Um, how you're going to be portrayed. Yeah, that that's so true, you know, and that there are those individuals out there and I've ran across a few myself that, you know, they're, they're not in it for your your best interest so it's one of those things what kind of call to action would you have for individuals george you know the the idea would be to think beyond what's just good for you i think a lot of people think in terms of me 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 what's best for me enough about me let's talk about me and when you start thinking about other people and what might be good for them or what might be good for society um, that is a whole different thing. And that can be, that's where you're giving back. That's where you're trying to help others. You're thinking beyond what your immediate needs are. So that's the kind of call to action. If you want to do something, think of how it benefits others and, and maybe doesn't just benefit yourself. That's a very good call to action right there. George, I thank you for participating in this year's NAPOD POMO with me. And I hope you have much success in all of your production. I appreciate that. If people want to see any of our stuff, if they go to movetheworldfilms.org, 
it links to everything that I've got going, podcasts, my documentary films, how you can watch them. So it'd be movetheworldfilms.org and, uh, and they, can, they can give it a listen, give it a watch, whatever they want to do. We'd love to have them check us out. Mm-hmm. 